Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, My guest today is Amber Kluwer. Uh, She has a blog called DiabetesDailyGrind.com. She also has her own podcast, and uh, we're going to talk about her experiences. Uh, She has type 1 diabetes herself. So uh, welcome, Amber. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Richard, so much for having me. Yeah, tell me about a little bit about your journey. How did you discover uh, type 1 diabetes? And then, well, you know, how did you end up doing your blog and your podcast? What's your backstory? So uh, I'll try to make it as short and sweet and as humanly possible. But I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 21 days after my eighth birthday. So I'm not going to date myself too much, but I've had it for a few decades. And um, realized after meeting somebody else while I was an adult that um, I had never really had a type one friend or anybody really to communicate with. So growing up, I felt like I was a little bit on an island uh, without ever really knowing it consciously during those very difficult years as a teenager and then in college and all those other things. So in meeting this other person who is a, a lovely fellow type one, we had a similar vision to write a series of books about life with diabetes over the decades. And in looking at that, we thought, you know what, why don't we start with a blog to see if there's any interest because there's a large investment, I'm sure, with publishing a book. And so we started the blog, started telling our own story, and we're pleasantly surprised when we started getting a lot of comments and a lot of feedback. Oh my gosh, you understand what I'm going through and all these things. And with that being said, we were being very vulnerable and talking about things that maybe we, neither one of us had ever talked about to our family or friends and, and realized that even though we enjoyed writing, we both liked chatting. And so the Real Life Diabetes podcast soon followed, and that was six and a half, seven years ago. And I've had the privilege of interviewing people from all over the world who I like to say, get it. And mm. I have learned more from the type one community and the type two community than I ever have in a, in a doctor's office. And so it's just a great way to connect with other people around the world. Has anyone built a list of doctors that have type one? that are also endocrinologists, because that might be a, um, you know, a better doctor to have. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I'm currently wor- working on a database because of course I would, uh, my eye doctor, um, I just recently got the green light that all of my eyes are in, you know, my eyes are in great shape. And what I, why I chose them in particular was because they have a child with type one. And so they went above and beyond to make sure that I had the right test and that I felt comfortable. So database coming soon. And if you're listening and you are one of those people, I would love to connect with you. Yeah, you know, as I think about it, like um, my other businesses, I work with attorneys and mm-hmm. one of them in Florida, his, his two daughters both have type one. Mm. So, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, certain ethnic groups want people from the ethnic group to be sure. their banker, their real estate agent. And when, you can probably do the same thing with type one diabetes. Like, you know, if you need a lawyer, you have a list of lawyers that, you know, have association with someone that has type one and you probably get a lot more understanding and kinship if you made this whole network of providers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you'll have a better understanding of what we go through financially, um, through the legal world and all other things. So, yeah. 
Well, what are what are some of the uh, the trials and travails of people with type one that someone that doesn't have it would have no clue is is affecting them? You know, I think the biggest thing that has been an eye opener for when I really started talking about my life um, that my, my my parents and my friends really didn't understand that type one diabetes, even though I, I wouldn't say that I ever hit it, I just didn't put it out there and I wasn't wearing devices at the time. So it was a lot easier to just kind of keep it to myself, but that type one diabetes is a 24 hour, seven day a week, 365 days a year, chronic illness that you don't even get a day off even on a sick day. Yeah. Actually that's when you really have to take it up a notch. So there's no turning this off ever. And that, that puts a whole new layer of stress to just keeping yourself alive. There's a lot of mental health issues with that. And, um, so I think that's the, that's one thing in particular that, uh, I really want to get the word out that this is, like I said, you feel like you're on an Island and having people who, you know, who understand it has really taken a a large weight off my shoulders. You have to monitor every single meal and plan every single meal. Like what's your day? Like, you know, I've, I've found sometimes, I don't know, days are so busy that I won't eat until 5 PM for instance. Sometimes right. that happens, there, you know, but for a type one diabetic, how, how much do you have to micromanage your life and your eating and your plans? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. And I will say that I'm a Capricorn and I'm a planner. So, and I don't like the word compliant, but I've always been compliant. And so a day in my life, um, anytime that I, if I get up, let's just say in the middle of the night, I look at my phone to see what my blood sugar is. So that kind of gauges what the next action is. I make sure to stay hydrated on regularly, even in the middle of the night, um, my blood sugar determines what the next step is going to be. So for breakfast, I get up and I have my kombucha and then I am very particular about what I eat. And then I may or may not have coffee. Then I think about my exercise. Stress is a huge factor. And then for the person who doesn't live with type one diabetes and everybody's management is different. We are all diagnosed with the same disease, but how we manage it can be very differently is that I give one unit of insulin for every 12 grams of carbohydrates. And in addition to that, depending on my blood sugar, there's a correction factor. So then I have to factor if I need more insulin or when I'm going to take that insulin, um, depending on the meal, the protein, the carbs and all other things. So it's a huge, it's a long, it's a wheel. I mean, there's always something that you have to think about and what's going to be the next thing. It's exhausting (laughs) a, a lot of times, but every single action that I have throughout the day, diabetes is factored in. So yeah, um, you know, I've been on airplanes and been delayed. I've been, uh, you know, in places where there's no food around. What do you? What would a type one diabetic do before even going into situations like that? Do they have to? I guess they'd have to really watch out and make sure that they have backups and they always have something with them, right? Right. Travel is can be difficult, and um, like again, being a planner, I know not everyone is like this, and we give each other a hard time. But I always have backup snacks in my purse for low blood sugar, because nobody wants to be caught in a situation to where you don't have resources available Two, if I travel. And especially if it's on a plane, which I hope to be on a plane someday in the near future, um, you have to take two to three months worth of supplies. So in addition to all of your clothes and all the other factors, I might have a second suitcase literally with all of the things that I need. And some of it has to be refrigerated. So there's a lot of other factors when it comes to travel. Again, I, really do my best and, and work with companies too, that make life when you have to do that easier so that there's something that you can easily stick in your pocket, or, you know, exactly how many carbs it's going to have so that you stay safe. But at the end of the day, diabetes is a roller coaster and you might, 
have the perfect equation for what you're going to do in the day. And then you're just not feeling well. So that little cold that's coming up or something may, may throw things off. So my whole theory with that is, and I quote Rev Run of Run DMC often, do your best and forget the rest because you can do the same thing every single day and have a different outcome. So just kind of give yourself some grace and a pat on the back that you're doing the best you can. Yeah. How um, understandable and controllable is type one? I mean, how often do you have days where you're like, what the hell's going on? Why do I feel like this? Um, days where you know what's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is working. I wish I could give you a clear cut equation for that. Uh, I just, I, I honestly can say I try to take it one day at a time one hour at a time. Um, this morning I woke up and my blood sugar was unusually high and I got a good night's rest. I was hydrated. So I just have to think about, okay, it's not what I'd like it to be right now. So how can I manage that situation through insulin management or other things? So I, I I will say to you, there's a, a, there's a term called decision fatigue. And for many of us, we make 183 extra decisions every day than the average person. But with that being said, those actions, all of them are life and death. <laughs> so I take it well, very seriously. You, yeah, can you give me an example of a day that you just happen to remember a lot of? And, you know, you remember a lot of the decisions you have to make in a given day. Any examples that come to mind? Oh, you yeah. give an insight to people and what, what it's like, literally? Yeah. So here's one quick one is that I was the keynote speaker for a JDRF event And of course, nerves there, there was, you know, five to 700 people in the room. Um, I had my team with me. We'd planned. We were so ready for the presentation. I get up that morning and I maybe had, I don't know, like half of a scrambled egg. I mean, it was something ridiculous because I knew my nerves wouldn't be there. That morning, I watched my blood sugar climb up to, I want to say 371 or something ridiculous. That's very unnormal. That's not my, I'm not that person. And so I knew going into that situation that I would have a foggy mind. I would not be as great of a speaker as I would have liked to be. And the first thing I said when I got on stage was my blood sugar right now is 371. Parents, I want you to know that I have plenty of insulin on board. I'm hydrated. I got as much rest as I possibly can. And I haven't eaten anything. But because I'm so nervous to be in front of you, stress just shot my blood sugar through the roof. So... You have to think about the things with your children. There are sometimes there are, it's unexplainable and there are things that you cannot control. But instead of being angry, I'm going to be forthcoming with you. This is going to be tough. So I'm going to do the best that I can. And I hope that you get the message that I'm trying to present. And so I had a father. They right after, oh, they, they when it was over, everybody was crying. And it, and it was weird. And I, I to say the least, but I had a father just jet up to me and was bawling. And he said, I just apologized to my daughter. Because, you know, sorry to get emotional, but it was like, because okay. I um, write her ass all the time about her blood sugar because uh, I'm like, okay. you, did you, you've given your insulin. I mean, he was like, you know what to do. Like, it's just going to be so black and white. And he goes, I never thought that when she goes in to play a soccer game and she's scared or all these other things, of course, it's going to affect things. And so yeah. that's, you know, what life with diabetes is like. I see what you mean. Yeah. People. Okay. Yeah, I can see parents, right, you know, what's wrong with you? Why is your sugar high? It's like you did something wrong. And right. You're saying there's there's so much variability that, you know, even on the, even you're doing your best, you'll still have uh, things like that happen. Yeah. And I think it's really hard, too, for a lot of people, and especially younger people. I mean, I manage my own disease, so the only person that's responsible for that is me. But we're judged by a number. 
And whether that's the blood sugar that you have at the current moment or your A1C, which is your three month, um, but everything is based off of that. So that's a really hard, that could be very difficult. And that going back into the mental health and that even when you try your best and those numbers don't come out to your satisfaction, that's still what, what's going on. Um, mm. So, yeah. It sounds a little bit like, I know it's not as, it's worse, but it sounds a little bit like asthma. You know, right. I've had asthma my whole life and uh, in certain situations where you get triggered, if you don't calm yourself, the asthma gets worse, but it's Absolutely. like a vicious cycle. And if you, you know, so I would guess like meditation and being able to calm yourself down and manage your mood and your emotions is like a very important skill for type ones that they have to cultivate constantly. You know, that's something that I say often, and I, I've been, med- I've been really into meditation for about the past seven years. And it has absolutely changed my life and not only my mental state, but my, my, I would like to say my diabetes too, because when you get worked up, you're stressed out. Like you said, it's just an ongoing, it's like a little cycle. It's, and it's, it's not going to improve until you get calm. So hmm. many factors. Do you know of, uh, of, of anyone that's, that's studying particularly the effect of stress on uh, blood sugar and insulin uptake and insulin response? Not off the top of my head, but I'd be happy to uh, send you an email with somebody that I think would be of interest because I know they're out there researching stuff like that all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't have type two, you know, pre-diabetic, so I wore a CGM for a while. My wife did. And, you know, even that is it's not nearly as bad as your situation, but you, know, you eat something and your blood sugar starts going high and you think, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you, feel, you feel bad about yourself and you know, I found some tactics, like we go for a walk for 20 minutes right away. And that would help by, you know, let's say 20, 30 points to bring stuff down or blunt the effects. But yeah. um, I can see it's very scary. Like if you're, you know, if you're a full-blown diabetic, either type one or two, and your blood sugar's climbing and you're starting not to feel well, and you're starting to feel faint or foggy or whatever it is, you, you must be like, oh, shit. And yeah. you got to put a stop to it before like something really bad happens or if it goes really low. Well, and just think about this too. So you've had access to a CGM and I thankfully have, uh, I've been wearing a CGM. I've tried out a a number of different companies, but it wasn't until I got a CGM that I fully understood my diabetes and it absolutely changed my management. I mean, hundred percent. And that was after three decades of having diabetes. And so it is my, one of my personal goals as an advocate um, for all people living with diabetes is they will have affordable access to CGMs because and I won't go down this rant too far, but a lot of the complications and a lot of the things that we hear about diabetes are because people are not able to manage it with the correct tools that they, they need in order to do so. And, or they can't afford the resources that they need in, in order to do that. And so in my little dream world that I live in, everybody would have access to a CGM or just be able to wear one for 30 days to see the fact that if they decide to go through the drive through and order X, that your blood sugar shot up to 400 because I would hope that if you saw that you would think, okay, well, maybe I need to think about a different option next time. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Yeah. It's like um, getting really drunk and you know, you're damaging your liver and your brain and everything, you know, having those huge excursions. I'm sure it's just a chip away at your pancreas and your health. And each time you do it, it's like, another chip away and it's damaging you, damaging you and you don't realize it. That's why I guess after years, you know, all of a sudden collapse and then you're diabetic. Yeah. There's a lot of factors there. And I will say 
having type one diabetes for so long, um, I, I know nothing else. So this is a part of, and maybe why I'm a type A personality or whatever it is, because I, and so this is how life is, but I really feel there's a disservice right now to the type two diabetes community, because unfortunately a lot of them with no discredit to the medical community, but they're given a pamphlet and it's like, okay, well cut back on your calories and um, you need to lose weight and you probably need to start exercising, but they don't tell them, okay, you need to do this. Have you thought about this? Here's a support group. Have you learned about different ways to cook? And so I mean, at the end of the day, it's our responsibility as a patient to do our research and take action. But the type two community is is not given all the tools they need to, I feel like, be successful with managing their diabetes. Yeah. What What did you learn from wearing the suit, Jim, by the way? What are some of the insights? Dawn phenomenon, for sure, uh, which means that your blood sugar at a certain point every morning will rise. Not every morning. It depends on hormones. Um, the effects of stress, for sure. Um, dehydration. What does dehydration do to your body? Um, I eat a low carb diet, not like a keto or anything like that, but I did that before having the CGM, but it, I also, after getting the CGM realized the effects that a high carb meal can have on you. And not only with your blood sugar numbers, but how that makes you feel over the next 24 hours. I didn't realize that exercise, cause I rec- exercise almost daily, that it has like a, oh gosh, um, it can stay in your system. So I was having a number of serious lows in the middle of the night and I just changed my workout regimen into swimming and doing more cardio and didn't put the two and two together until a week later when I started looking at stuff, but the CGM allowed me to really see that. And I will say too, the CGM, especially for people who do not feel low blood sugars, the alarms and all the other things there allow you to take action before it becomes dangerous. Mm. So some people won't feel if they're going low. Correct. And that's I guess why a same lot of thing with die. going high. I guess a lot of people have different set points and some can feel when it's not very high or some only when it's super high, some not at all. Right. Some low. And, you know. and with the high blood sugars, and I'm not a medical professional, I will say that right off the bat, is that highs long term are going to be where the complications come in. It's the lows that you don't feel, especially I'm going to say with children. Um, that's where we see people losing their life is because it, it really can kill you. Um, so having a CGM, you not, that, yeah. Like every night you go to bed, well, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, do a lot of type one diabetics think like every night they go to bed that they could be dead during the night and that's the end of them? Um, I, I do feel that a lot, uh, there are type ones that feel that way. I would say more so for parents because they don't, and I have interviewed a lot of parents um, say that I haven't had a good night's sleep since they were diagnosed because they would have to get up two or three times in the middle of the night, especially if the child's going through puberty or other phases in their life, growth spurts, um, to test their blood sugar. Well, who wants to get up in the middle of the night and prick a kid's finger? And if it's, let's just say the blood sugar is 50, okay, well, now you've got to force sugar down this kid's throat. Yeah, That's not a pleasant experience for anybody. And then that parent has to go back to bed thinking, okay, well, I hope I gave them enough and not too much. And that's the other thing is the, the one thing too with type one diabetes. And I've really realized this as an adult is that, and the CGM has showed me this, uh, it's when you have a diabetes roller coaster, let's just say that you overcorrect a low or you have a serious low in the middle of the night and you, you drink a little bit too much orange juice or you eat everything in the kitchen because you're in, it's fight or flight. This is survival mode. You're going to do whatever it takes to, to make sure you're okay. And then your blood sugar spikes to 300. That is, gives you a headache. It makes you feel foggy. Um, you're not your best self. And you're groggy the whole next day. Um, 
So you never want those huge swings that when they happen, you got to realize that, Hey, you know what? I need to take this day a little bit slower because I'm not going to be hundred percent and give yourself some grace with that too. Hmm. Um, I noticed with, um, with the CGM, like particularly for my wife, you know, she had a soda, trying to tell her not to, uh, <laughs> her blood sugar would go up really high and crash down low. And then, you know, she wouldn't feel good both ways. And mine would go high and kind of stay high and slowly come down. But we had like completely different responses to like the same food, you know, the same drink. And we noticed too, um, and we would have missed all that without CGM. You know, you poke your finger two hours later, all that's missed. And then um, we would go to some restaurants and some of them, we'd have the same meal, like chicken and asparagus, whatever. And some places the blood sugar would be like double what it was other places. We figured, I don't know what they're doing to the food, but there's something in it that's just not good. So we learned all that stuff. It's, I have definitely learned a lot about, um, I, I, I prefer to, and I hate to say this, and especially with the quarantine situation, all the things preparing my own food, I know exactly what's going into it. But when you have the privilege of going to a restaurant or doing something like that, you really don't know what all they're adding to it. So yeah, CGM helps give you a little bit more freedom, I guess, to see, or to just think about it. If you, like you said, you were conscious about the fact that you, you realized it. And what are you going to do the next time that you go into that same location or whatnot? Yeah. And it becomes kind of like a game too with CGM. Like if, you know, I would try to see, okay, can I keep myself like under a hundred, you know, most of the day. And it was like a game to do that. And you know, when I did it, I felt better. And so it's just, it just depends, you know, but But it's a lot of insight that you miss. Isn't it exhausting? And then when you don't get it right in your mind, then you, a lot of people beat themselves up. I didn't, I didn't win today or however you look at it. And uh, that can take a toll for sure. Yeah. So I guess it's good and bad, but yeah, I guess, I mean, I'm sure people, even when they can get CGMs, they're not prepared for emotionally what it's going to, you know, how it's going to affect them. So there needs to be, like you said, a lot more counseling and support around the whole experience, you know, for type ones and type twos, because just saying, here's a pamphlet. Good luck, buddy. You know, that's that's no good. Yeah. It's, It's crazy. So are there um, new protocols or new inventions that are just about here or that are new that you're trying out that are helpful? Yeah, I, I'm really, uh, I'm going to say lucky that I'm sent products, whether they're CGNs or just new foods that are coming out on the, you know, coming out that are available to us. Um, there's a lot of exciting things. And that's one of the things I'm about to launch a new series about just the facts because there are so many things out there and I, I'm a firm believer in transparency and something that may work for you may not work for me. But if you knew that there were six CGM companies and 12 insulin pump therapies that are out there and on my website, there was a one-stop shop that you could just look at that and it's an unbiased opinion, then that would give you, I'm going to say the resources that you need to make an educated decision and to ask or encourage your medical team Hey, listen, I really want to try this, uh, this pump because of this, or I don't like tubeless pumps. So there's this, what about inhaled insulin? I mean, there's so many things out there and I will say, unfortunately, the general public, unless you have an endocrinologist or a, a medical team that is up to date on those things, then you may not ever know about them. And if you're not an advocate, like I am just in the trenches, learning about everything, I think that's sad as well. So with that being said, like it's my personal goal to make sure again with an unbiased um, way in which I report things, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to be honest about it uh, and let people make their own choices instead of 
here's the pump you're going to use because this is what I feel comfortable with. But at the end of the day, yeah. it's up to the patient to, uh, to do their own research. Um, and if their medical community doesn't like it, then they should find somebody else that can. There's some research that's coming out right now. When we look at, we've been promised a cure. I mean, when I was diagnosed in 1984, <laughs> um, I was promised a cure every five years. It, it's, it's just right around the corner. And then when you get to your 10, your 20, you're like, this is just stop promising people a cure because what that cure ends up looking like, whether that's an artificial pancreas or if it's stem cell, you know, I don't know the correct terminology, isolate, transplant and all these things, um, or where all these research dollars are going. The general public is like, I'm exhausted by this until I get the big news that it's done. Stop promising these things. And so I'm excited because I look at the research and I'm about to interview quite a few teams that the cure is not going to be what we think it is. Um, but there's some exciting things down the pipeline. And if not just like, Hey, let's take a pill or, and then that's not going to be fair, but a shot that cures us of this, it, there may be something else that in the interim is going to make our life a lot easier and more pleasant yeah. to manage. So I kind of take that as a win until we get that cure. Yeah, like something that would be nice is if they had a continuous insulin monitor. That would be cool because, you know, the blood sugar alone may hide that you have very high background insulin, for instance, you know, and when you take it, I know there's a delay in, in how long it takes to act and there's different kinds of insulin, that oh, fast yeah. acting, slow acting. But if you also had a continuous insulin monitor, that would probably help you, uh, you know, manage your condition better. Richard, I will say there's looping. There's all kinds of things right now that the CGMs are now talking to insulin pumps. So the artificial pancreas, and again, I'm not a medical professional, but it's out there. And we're going to see a lot more companies working together uh, instead of competing because they want to see, I would like to say, a better management system that is, quote unquote, a, a cure. You know, what would be interesting is if uh, someone made like a Yelp for type 1 diabetics. So, you know, each food in each restaurant if type ones would, would look at, you know, what happened to their sugar uh, after eating that meal, uh, you could have, you know, you would get to know, oh, okay, like uh, Chick-fil-A is really good or really bad for type ones, or, you know, this restaurant is really good or really bad. And this meal is, you know, in a pinch seems to work. And I don't know, it'd be interesting if there was, that data was collected. You need a lot of it, but you need a new way to rate yeah. Well, and I think it's one of those things too, that I, I don't know that I would say that I like this term, but people with type one diabetes can eat anything they choose to. Where when I was diagnosed, it was like absolutely no sugar. I mean, it was a very, I'm going to say strict diet with the devices that are now available. Um, there's a lot more freedom with that. And when you look at restaurants, they, and with one in three Americans walking around with diabetes or pre-diabetes, we're seeing a lot of groups, local restaurants even, um, that are making sure that the people with a low carb diet or gluten-free have celiac disease and other things, that those things are on the menu, which is awesome. At the same time, I think there, there's a discredit there too. There are some companies that are saying diabetes friendly and all these things. Well, is that really? So there's a lot of mis misinformation out there. And it makes me sad that they're, I'm going to say preying on the diabetes community because for the person with type two that just knows that they need to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, it's diabetes friendly. I can eat that. Well, yeah, you can, but is that going to be the best choice for you? So. So there are people that keep themselves on the low end of sugar and other ones that run higher, you know, like a car, you can run it fuel rich or fuel lean. Do people like in the type one world, do they, um, 
There's some people, again, they just, they want to keep their sugars higher and some want to keep them much lower. Oh, for sure. It's up to the individual. I mean, I, if you look at the, oh, when you're diagnosed, they want to keep your blood sugar, let's just say between 70 or hundred or 80 and 120. Well, I feel my best at 110. So my CGM goals and all the other things that I work towards is 110, but somebody else might feel better at 90, you know, or, uh, I know that when I go into, let's just say a meeting or something to where I have to have my performance mind on, I want to be at 150 because I want to make sure that it's high enough that I don't have to worry about it dropping out while I'm in the middle of something or having a thought to where I would lose it and sound crazy. Um, so it's really up to the individual, but if you're just the average person that is not, that listens to the medical community and just like, okay, this is what I need to do. And they may be feeling bad all the time. It's up to us as a patient to realize that's not working for me. You know, uh, I need to try something else. So it's really, that's a great question, but I think it's up to the individual because just like, you know, you said you've tried some things and you realized that when you ate X, Y, and Z, you didn't, it didn't work for you. It was different for your wife. Um, yeah. you, 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 you are the only person that knows how good or bad you feel with that experiment. And I, I often say I'm a walking science experiment <laughs> every single day. True. Yeah. For yourself, where do you want to take things? What are you now on the track to figuring out what's next in your, in your journey? Next on my journey is, uh, <laughs> I have, like I said, I've been doing a lot of research with different brands and products and things like that. And I only talk about or work with groups that make my life better. And I'm so thankful that there are some groups that are, I mean, I'm not going to go into any brand names or anything like that, but now I cook cauliflower rice. I, there are cauliflower pizza crust. Um, there's so many alternatives out there. So the future for me is continuing to test things like that and to talk about them so that my sweet listeners and, and, and people that read the blog will have, like I said, a one-stop shop for things that could improve their life. I'm, I'm spinning off a new podcast series, series called Just the Facts, Please, which are medical gurus, research teams, and industry leaders that it'll be specific to one related topic with diabetes. Because even though we see specialists and see our endocrinologists and things like that, it's usually you talk about 17 different things in a 12 minute period of time. So you don't get a lot of, a lot of information. So with this series, I want to have it dedicated to neuropathy, retinopathy, menopause. I mean, nobody's ever talked to me about menopause and what it's going to do with my diabetes. And so I just want it to be an informative, educational and entertaining interview with one medical professional who can speak to something while still keeping the regular podcast episode going for, because that's interviews with people. Like I said, my, my, people who get it and are I'm learning from or are doing miraculous things in this diabetes community. And so the future for me is more advocacy, continuing with partnerships. I want us all to work together, especially as we're looking at insulin prices. Um, I would like to believe that I play well in the sandbox with all diabetes related groups. And I've said often with um, some of fellow advocates is that we're never going to get anywhere by barking. Let's work together arm in arm, if we have to nip at somebody every once in a while or some industry, great. But at the end of the day, I just want to make sure, especially for this people newly diagnosed, this is not a death sentence. We're all going to die. And it's up to us to determine how we live our best life while we're still here. And, um, and also to be that support team. I had a woman reach out to me via my contact page saying my son is type one. He's had it for 11 years. He's been in DKA twice this year. We've never had this problem. And we feel like we've given him the best support team possible. We're not sure what to do. And he said to me recently, 
you'll never understand because you don't have the disease. And so I was honored that she reached out to me and said, Hey, can you just connect him with somebody? And so I gave that kid a call. I mean, I want to make sure those people, well, it's cool. And it's a weird responsibility at the same time, because all I can think about this is this kid who feels like he's alone. And so how do I make him feel comfortable enough to join the conversation and not to be ashamed of it? I host a virtual happy hour every week and it's hilarious and fun at the same time. It has nothing to do with alcohol, even though we do talk about it, but connecting with people from all over the world. I mean, we're just like, Hey, last week you weren't feeling well. How's that going? Or it's just, I'm a natural networker, Gabby person. So uh, my future is going to continue to connect people and to be unbiased and unjudgmental and um, hopefully put a little pep in people's step because if I can live this long with diabetes, you sure as hell can too. Oh, that's great. What's the best way for people to find your podcast, find your blog and where can they go from here? What are resources for them? Richard, thank you. You are so sweet for even saying that. I really appreciate that because um, yeah, I I can be found at diabetesdailygrind.com. I'm on every social media platform. Um, the podcast is called Real Life Diabetes, which can be found either on the website or in all, I would like to believe if all of the technology is working on all podcast platforms. And um, I really do my best to find the best guests to bring new topics that maybe you're not thinking about. So I will say to you, if you're a medical professional, if you have a product that you think are good for people with diabetes, or if you have your own story to share, I would love to connect with you. Okay, very good. Well, Amber, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Richard, thank you so much for this opportunity. And kudos to you for you and your wife wearing the CGM. I'm sure that was very enlightening. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.